you're involved in the business of power station demolition, even in the most remote way, I need you to listen to this. There's 250 power plants left here in the US. There's 300 in Canada. There's 300 plus uh, in Europe uh, that are coal uh, fossil plants. I mean, if we're going by just sheer averages of the 1500 or so power plants that are left globally that are gonna be decommissioned and taken down, uh, you're looking at another roughly 150 or so deaths. That was Joe Vendetti, a man with a huge amount of industrial and power station demolition to his name. And following a spate of power station demolition fatalities on both sides of the Atlantic, Joe has taken this opportunity to speak out and to warn others. So please stick around and listen to what Joe has to say. It could just save somebody's life. I mean, we really started getting into power plant demolition, I would say, Back in 2006, we started approaching utilities, kind of knowing that coal was at its, uh, you know, last breath, and you know, seeing that there was 500 or so plants in the U.S. Um, you know, kind of, we thought that that was going to be a really big emerging market back in 2006, and then, you know, you didn't have a lot of companies that had done a hung boiler, and so there wasn't. A tremendous amount of experience, you know, and I think then we first had, I want to say, um, you know, we had our first fatalities in this, in the U.S. on a hung boiler down at Duke, um, or it could have been out in California. They were really close together where uh, two uh, burners got crushed to get uh, together under a boiler. It was within a month. And, you know, kind of since that time, um, the, the playing field, there's, I want to say maybe 10 contractors in the U S that I constantly see at bid walkthroughs that, you know, have done certainly more than one power plant, but recently, you know, within the last 15 months, really, uh, to see this amount of fatalities, um, I, I you know, I think people are taking work too cheap. I think, um, Obviously, the utilities are, um, you know, not understanding, you know, really what the dangers are in doing a hung boiler. They want to say, okay, this person's done a stadium or they've done a high rise uh, that qualifies them for um, a power plant. And it doesn't. I mean, there was a public bid down in Florida uh, about 18 months ago. And the only qualifications in the spec were uh, having done uh, a project of about 10 stories and, you know, all the people that came out of the woodwork for that. And it, it was, you know, quite, quite scary. And the per you know, the company that ended up getting it, um, you know, did have some really close near misses and thank God they didn't have any fatalities. Um, you know, being on the demolition safety committee and um, part of NDA, I mean, I kind of see a lot of the OSHA reports that come through and a lot of the, you know, the accidents that happen. And it's really unfortunate. I mean, up at Crawford Station up in Chicago, you had a person, a company that's never done a power plant. Really, I don't think I looked at their resume, had no industrial experience before, and they had a person 
you know, a poor gentleman killed up at Crawford Station in Chicago. And that was, you know, just horrific. Uh, but, you know, when you see it with the guys that have been, have had a lot of experience, and then you see fatalities in, the, in that group, you know, it's just, you know, there's something underlying, you know, whether, you know, we're getting complacent or um, it's the fact that, you know, we're doing things a little faster and we're trying to do a little cheaper. And, you know, that's uh, unfortunately, or the client's pushing schedule or things like that. So. It's an interesting point because certainly in the immediate aftermath of uh, the Didcot accident here, one of the first criticisms that was leveled at the contractor involved there was the fact that they'd never done a power station before. And yet, as you say, when, when you look at the, the fatalities, certainly on, on your side of the, uh, the Atlantic, a lot of the companies that have been involved in those fatalities have done power stations before. It's not like they're, they're wet behind the ears, is it? Yeah. And that's, you know, it's unfortunate. I mean, when I talk to, um, because when when Ditcock happened, we were in the middle of doing a um, an eighteen hundred megawatt four unit power plant, and um, Mr. Coleman had gotten contact with me, and you know I talked to him about uh, possibly sending one of my uh, engineers over to the UK to kind of figure out um, you know what uh, had happened and what had went wrong. And just, it, I, we really didn't even kind of need that once he told me, um, you know, what, you know, happened. Uh, apparently in the UK, you guys are, were against using shape charges. Is that accurate? That was the case, less so yeah. now, I think. Yeah. So, and uh, I mean, if you, if you see some of the collapses that have happened here in the U.S., a lot of the undermining that happens uh, when you're going to do, say, a cable felling, um, you really have to cut deep, you know, into a column uh, to make it, um, you know, you know, that you're going to pull it over with a some excavators uh, and generate that kind of kip to break the column uh, to cause that collapse. So, I mean, you think about how much work a shape charge does and then you use the kicker to displace that column. Um, it's very dangerous. I mean, I've been I mean, early on in my career. I remember if you could take, and we were working at General Electric in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. And if we could get a column in a building that size, we worked at a, a boiler, a very small boiler, nine megawatts that just, powered the plant and we could get it we got it to collapse with a torch 30 years ago you got an attaboy oh that was fantastic uh and but even then it was only two of us that had worked our way through the columns got to the last point on the column and we had an escape route and i remember um this older gentleman that had been in the demolition industry since you know, the early 20s, you know, said, if you hear any creaking or popping and we're going to be looking for a bird's mouth in the column to start closing and then we got to get the hell out of here. And, you know, back then I was a kid. I didn't really know anything. And we got this big boiler to kind of collapse on itself. And 
you know, was all fine and dandy. But, you know, these days when you have multiple workers that are working under, you know, a hung boiler and don't have an escape plan and haven't worked out a methodology on how, you know, we, the way we do it now, if we are going to do any cable work, uh, we work with a third party engineer, whether it's Sigma Engineering or Paul Rose, somebody that has a lot of experience in um, boiler structures. And, you know, we we write up our work plan. We send it to Sigma. They give us some uh, recommendations. And but we never put you know, guys under sheer underneath a boiler. And, you know, we're always working around the outskirts of the columns. Um, you know, it's just, and what's going on now with the utilities, if you're working with a regulated utility in the United States that actually has set aside dollars to close that plant and decommission it at a certain point, you know, those, I, I think we're finding there's less fatalities at a regulated utility than an unregulated utility. And because the unregulated ones haven't set aside the dollars to properly, you know, decommission these things. And then they're looking for a cheap, cheaper way out. Um, and then they end up with, you know, a disaster on their hands. And you know, that's unfortunate. you've mentioned a couple of times that hung boilers, um, which obviously are a, a challenge in themselves. Is the hung boiler a, a standard design across these power plants? Because, you know, this does seem to have been enough of them brought down for us to have learned as a, as a global industry, to have learned enough lessons by now, isn't there? Um, you know, I thought so too, but it, there's, I, I talked to um, a friend that graduated with me from um, the university that I went to here in the States, uh, RPI, and he designs uh, boilers for um, General Electric. And he told me because of the add-ons that happen after they get installed and the thermal corrosion that happens uh, between just uh, the chemical composition of, you know, the, the coal, the arsenic, the steam, and the boiler constantly moving and shifting. Uh, I mean, if you've ever been inside of a power plant, especially a very large one, you could see at the top, you know, where the hanging uh, beam is, the hanger beams are, there's a lot of things that allow that boiler to move, um, you know, and it can move up to a foot uh, in either direction. And so, there's a lot of weakening, um, you know, in the, you know, the minor support structures that happen, you know, below that. And, um, and then there's a lot of just, and, and sometimes you have these plants that have maybe been sitting idle since, you know, the late eighties, the early nineties, um, they're impacted by, you know, weather and erosion and, you know, just rot of the steel um that you know a lot of that stuff comes into play too so i, I found it interesting the fact that you spoke to coleman's in the uh, in the aftermath of, of didcot because i i know after the ohio collapse one of the uk companies actually reached out to uh, it was a damo doing that wasn't it actually reached out to them so you know it, it is a case of 
it's the worst possible circumstances, but the, the, the global demolition brotherhood does tend to come together at these times, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, I reached out to Rich Adamo. Um, you know, I've known Rich uh, from times on the uh, Demolition Association board. Um, you know, I'm certainly friendly with Rich um, and was friendly with his brother, John, and reached out to him because we uh, are were working close to Columbus, uh, which, you know, maybe two hours away, but certainly offered to um, you know, offer him workers that we could put down on the site or equipment that we could put down on the site to help him, you know, maybe get through the, the rub rubble and, you know, help him, you know, in his time of need, um, certainly willing to, you know, help him after the fact. And I always reach out, you know, when Brandenburg kind of had their accident in Iowa, reached out to Jack Jasinowski, um, when Frontier just recently had their accident in West Virginia, uh, reached out to Dave and Dennis Franjone um, and Rob Zakowski. Uh, so any of those guys, and I mean, Trifecta just had one in Pennsylvania. I reached out to their CEO. Um, so, I mean, it is really a brotherhood. I don't, no one wants to see anybody hurt or killed in, you know, any project. Um, you know, in anything that we can do to, you know, kind of help, you know, uh, guide these, anybody through it. Uh, I certainly wish early on in my career that, you know, I wish I had somebody to, you know, that mentor that kind of reached out to us and, uh, you know, it just, it, sometimes it doesn't happen. Sometimes it does. We've mentioned clients and, and, regulated and unregulated utility um, companies. Are, are the demolition, is the demolition industry guilty of accepting work that they perhaps shouldn't? Should we be walking away from more than perhaps we do? Uh, yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I, I wish we, I, I mean, <clears throat> it's so hard to say, tell somebody to walk away from their, you know, for money that they keep, you know, 60 or 70 guys employed at a, you know, a power plant job. Um, it's so hard to say that and, you know, tell, but after years and years of experience, there are bad jobs. There's a lot more, there's a lot more bad jobs than you would think. And, um, you know, I was talking to um, Brian Horniak, who's on the, the board of directors for the Demolition Association. I said, and he's now with um, GHD, and he's on the other side of the table. Instead of being a demolition contractor, he's a you know a, a consulting engineer for demolition projects. And I and I told them, I said we really have to do a better job as an industry and of walking away from projects that are bad and informing you know clients, especially when they see you know irregularities on bids um you know the difference in pricing you know if, if there's a huge discrepancy in pricing i mean we just went through this with a client uh, they gave us the bid results um and uh, our company brandenburg and northstar were clumped together in a very tight ball and then there was you know two very low local contractors 
uh, for these two hung boilers. And, you know, the client, you know, I told them, uh, I said, you have to be very careful. Um, and, but the client is still going to go with, you know, the low bidder, unfortunately, you know, it's just, um, you know, it's something we really have to, you know, I don't know if it's a campaign that we have to, um, you know, put together about taking, you know, cheaper work or really knowing how to uh, dot your I's and cross your T's. I think the Demolition Association, uh, the the American Demolition Association, they put out that a recent uh, survey that said, you know, what is what is going on with these fatalities, and is there enough qualified demolition contractors? to do the remainder of the 250 plus uh, power plants that are left here in the U.S. And it's not necessarily a, a qualified versus unqualified um, issue because we've seen, you know, qualified contractors are having these same accidents and hurting people. You know, it's, a, I think it's a lack of, we there's contractors, um, for taking jobs that are, you know, unfortunately we're taking them too cheap and um, people tend to cut um, things that they feel are, um, you know, things that are, they need for wrecking. You're not going to cut your fuel. You're not going to cut your excavators. You're not going to cut your people that are actually doing the work. And what tends to get cut is safety resources, engineering plans, you know, things that are kind of on the outskirts of, you know, the, you know, your bid. And I, I think that may be the reason why we're having, you know, the spate of accidents now, um, you know, you know, I, I don't want to say it's just bad luck because, you know, it's way too many of them. At first I thought, um, we, you know, we tried to gear it into, you know, maybe it's a particular utility that, this is all happening and it's not, it's happened across, you know, the biggest ones, whether it's Duke or Vistra or Southern, there's been accidents on all of them, AEP. And then we try to say, well, maybe they're not being, um, there's not any oversight on the project by an engineer. And certainly we see that some of these projects have had oversight, maybe not the safety oversight. And a lot of times, and I know our, uh, you know, in the past, we have been guilty of it where, you know, you have a, say, a superintendent or a project manager that has worlds of experience and he can almost bully his way uh, through a safety officer that, you know, says mm, that doesn't look, you know, safe or something doesn't look right, but because, the project manager, the superintendent may have so much experience, they kind of let it go and then boom, an accident happens. And, you know, so th there's a lot to say about, you know, complacency and experience. Sometimes, you know, all that experience could, you know, kind of come back and bite you. One of the things that, that's been a big criticism here, as, as we said earlier, is the fact that it's um, in about five weeks' time, it's the fifth anniversary of, of Didcult. Um, 
we, we, we here with the health and safety executive who are, you know, our equivalent of OSHA, we're still waiting for their findings to be published, you know, any subsequent prosecution to take place. What sort of turnaround are you seeing on, on your side of the pond? How quick do OSHA tend to, to investigate these things? Yeah, I mean, OSHA will come out immediately. I'm obviously within 24 hours of a fatality, well, eight hours of a fatality. And, but sometimes their findings, depending on how much the contractor really wants to lay on its shoulders um, and take responsibility, the, the findings can come back relatively quick. If you start putting up roadblocks to OSHA, I mean, things can drag out, you know, I would say 18 months at the max. Uh, I haven't seen past 18 months where OSHA hasn't, you know, closed the case. But um, so it's around 18 months. I mean, five years seems um, a very long time, uh, you know, to kind of close a case and uh, offer up what they thought was, you know, a problem on the case. But, you know, you can negotiate with OSHA. Uh, to close the case, to, you know, get down your fines from willfuls to seriouses to, you know, less than that. And, you know, of course, you know, our contractors and our legal system, you know, and, uh, I, you know, you certainly can't blame anybody because obviously that's their livelihood. Um, you know, some companies here in the States, if you've had a fatality, you're kind of, blackballed for five years uh, of working for a company. I wish the utility, you know, at one point I, I have to say there, there was a utility TVA, Tennessee Valley Authority. When they originally solicited their contractors, they went after what they called world-class contractors. They were looking for zero fatalities. They were looking for uh, a dark, uh, of zero, TRIR of zero, uh, OSHA recordables, uh, you know, as low as possible. And then for whatever reason, they, you know, they, they had bid several power plants and the prices of those power plants um, were significantly over the budget that TVA had set aside. And then TVA lowered the standards of what they were going to accept for, um, you know, they were going to let contractors bid that had had fatalities before. And it, knock on wood, it has worked out for uh, TVA. And TVA, I, I love the people at TVA. They're very professional. Um, they believe in um, uh, observations. Uh, keeping people safe by observations, part of the BBS um, uh, safety system, which we are, we do, and I, and I think that's kept them safe. So they did lower the bar to, you know, increase the number of bids that they were getting on their projects, and they have still kept uh, people, you know, relatively, you know, kind of safe. They've had zero injuries. Um, on four or five very, very large power plants that they've done and, uh, you know, kind of lowered it 
to their their standards just a little bit to allow contractors that have had one fatality. If you've had more than one fatality, you can't bid at TVA. But some of the other utilities um, are a lot less stringent than that. Um, so, and I think that, you know, that obviously is an issue. And they get, you know, if you think about it on this side, um, these utility companies get a tremendous amount of pressure locally. They're going to close a plant. They're going to lose 700 well-paying jobs inside this plant. And then they get pressure from local um, contractors that they can, you know, they want to be able to bid the work and they, you know, kind of cave in and they allow these local uh, people to, you know, bid on the work. And, you know, that's, I think, part of the, you know, the problem, um, you know, that they don't have the wherewithal to understand the real dangers of, you know, power plant. And we try to do our best. I mean, I speak at PowerGen. I try to speak at PowerGen every year. I try to speak at Electric Power, uh, EUCI and EUEC. And I'm not... You know, of course, we're going out there to kind of promote our business and uh, put our propaganda out there. But one of the main focuses in a 45 minute talk that I give uh, at all these utility conferences is really picking a contractor, a safety aspect of picking a contractor, you know, that has that experience um, and, you know, to try to rely on um, a behavior based you know, safety system. Do we do enough as a as a global industry on sharing those fatalities, near misses, accidents? I, I know there's one of my concerns has always been the fact that you know the NDA works in in the states, EDA works in Europe, NFTC works in, in the UK. They all speak to each other, and I, I wonder if if that sort of information and, and that sort of learning is going cross border. Has that been your experience? Well, I'll tell you, we brought this up at the safety, one of the safety committee meetings, and we tried to get it pushed out into um, the NDA to try to push it globally. Um, I understand the hesitance from a contractor that has had an accident or has had a fatality, not wanting to, you know, share that information with other contractors or you know other people in the industry just for a, from a legal standpoint you know i could i could understand that um because you know they don't want any blowback wrongful deaths uh lawsuits you know things like that um so that's kind of it hit a it really hit a brick wall here in the states when we tried to get a lot more data from the accidents, especially fatalities that were happening at power plants. Um, you know, we wanted the data to share with our members, but you know, the legal staff from that are working with the companies kind of told us it, it's it, it, where it's going to. They don't want any cases reopened that were closed. Um, you know, if they did settle with a family or um, you know, a person, they didn't want it reopened. If, you know, some crafty uh, lawyer found a way that said, oh my God, we just found out that 
they were re, you know extremely willful uh so we're going to reopen this and we want five million dollars more or some you know that that was really what why it hit a brick wall but i do think if we're going to stop the amount of deaths that we're having in this industry i mean there's 250 power plants left here in the u.s there's 300 in canada there's 300 plus uh in europe uh, that are coal uh, fossil plants i mean if we're going by just sheer averages of the 1500 or so power plants that are left globally that are going to be decommissioned and taken down uh, you're looking at another roughly 150 or so deaths in our industry uh, if we don't get out in front of this thing and you know kind of start sharing our information of what to do and what not to do one of the things that really stopped me in my tracks when we were speaking on linkedin the other night was the fact that you mentioned that there'd been 15 deaths in, in however long it was, the last six, 12 months or whatever it might have been. But your company had actually bid on every single one of those. Now, obviously, you, you haven't had those fatalities and those accidents, but that's a very, very close call, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, you know, especially like kill, plant killing and uh, – the next one to go is uh, Stewart. I mean, I think we bid those as a package. You know, inherently, you can see we bid a we bid a uh, a plant in Arkansas. I want to say three four years ago, and just walking through it, uh, we'd like to walk through with um, at least two or three people, and one person has one role, another person has you know, uh, a safety uh, set of goggles on. One person has a scrap set of goggles on. Um, and another person has an operational set of goggles on. And then we try to get together afterwards and, you know, look at kind of the limitations, whether it's, you know, what's the safe way to drop this? Uh, is it implosion? What are the restrictions? Um, you know, and you know look at thousands of pictures of pictures that we took inside the plant and try to kind of really do a good zoom in to see if there's any um uh, separation because sometimes you can see where um uh, an upright column has actually pulled away from the turbine hull and you know once you start seeing a little bit of that separation um, you, you realize that the plant is as well built as these power plants are. They're not going to stand there forever and get beat on by rain and snow and wind and, you know, the thaw and freeze process. Um, and so we try to look at a lot of those things where we see the plant may be starting to come apart already. Um, you know, whether it's, you know, missing rivets or, uh, cracks in the columns or you know even you know we've seen uh things uh down in texas uh where there you know kind of was uh some thermal expansion on the outside of the boiler um so you know and i think everybody 
approaches things different. Everyone doesn't have that kind of money to send teams of three people, four people to uh, power plant walkthroughs and then go through again, you know, even get a second or third walkthrough before the bidding process. Um, and so, I mean, I, I think, you know, it's kind of scary, you know, when you think about you were in that plant, you know, um, and it collapsed. I mean, when I was just, you know, 24 or five years old, we were walking an old mental hospital in Philadelphia and they split up. There was such a large uh, group of bidders. They split us up. There was, I think, 30 went one way, 30 went the other. And on that bid walkthrough, there was a collapse uh, of a staircase. And this was, a, you know, just a mental hospital. And two contractors uh, down in Philadelphia ended up losing their life on a bid walkthrough for a demolition of a mental hospital. And so I learned early on, I, I don't walk anywhere without kind of, you know, looking, thinking about, you know, is that really look rotted or, you know, and I don't know if a lot of, of the younger folks, I mean, I'm getting older now and, uh, you know, I got maybe 10 more years left in this industry and before I sit on a beach somewhere. And uh, I don't know if a lot of the younger folks, you know, uh, look at it that way. And I think there's a we need a, a mentoring program in this industry to teach some of the you know younger folks coming up uh, the dangers you know that are out there every day uh, and that are constantly changing. I mean we we take down one part of a power plant and we uh, get rid of one hazard and may create two other ones. And you know and that's what I kind of try to instill in all my guys always thinking, you know, what's the worst possible thing that can happen at any particular time out here? You know, whether it's loading a heat exchanger onto a low boy or, you know, digging out footers or taking down some coal bunkers. Uh, what's the worst possible thing that can happen? And, you know, knock on wood, that's kept our guys safe, um, kept me safe. And, but I, I wish there was more of a mentoring uh, program across the globe in this industry uh, in sharing of, you know, really dangerous activities that happen. It's interesting that, that you say about the fact that, you know, you, you obviously remember a lot of these plants that, where you visited and there have subsequently been accidents. I, I, I visited Didcot two or three times before the accident there. And even though, I mean, I'm, I'm a journalist, I'm not a demolition man by any means, but I just kind of feel like an affinity with the place. I mean, I, I've been back for every anniversary of the accident. Um, I'll be back there again this year, lockdown allowing. I don't know why. I, I don't particularly like it there. In fact, I, I actually hate it there. But but, it, but you you kind of leave a part of yourself and it leaves a part of itself in you, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I mean, and I think, I mean, from my understanding of Didcock and what happened there, and obviously it had, a, I think it had a lot to do with the lack of using shape charges. And in the UK, I mean, you would cut, you know, a column to, you know, pretty much almost failure. And then from what I understand, they were actually welding back plates, you know, to kind of stabilize a, a column that was, you know, maybe a little wishy-washy. And then they would plant the kickers to kind of displace those columns. And 
Um, so, I mean, I, I think I understand why Didcock happened. Um, and I, hopefully that'll never happen again. Uh, certainly in the UK, I hope, hope people are understanding that shape charges are, you know, very beneficial. Um, but, you know, undermining as good as you think you are in undermining columns and um, how you think that plant will react, I would say get the advice of a structural engineer because if you have ever been underneath uh, just say a 300 megawatt boiler that may have say 24 columns and you have done or your team has done many of those boilers of that shape and size and you think you know exactly which one's the cup and work your way around, you can see if you just watch as you cut one column, the way the weight and structure reacts to compensate for that one column being cut, it shifts the loads around that and it's going to continue to shift the loads. That's how smart, good engineering is that it continues to just shift the loads where it knows it can hold, you know, that, that load will be held up. But to a point, we can't, it's not going to hold up on one column. And it, it's very scary to when you watch things uh, progress. And I've been, I told you, I've been a part of some near misses where we were cutting that last column and the whole thing just tore away and ripped down and luckily we can get a hundred feet away and uh, you know the boiler collapses uh with you know nobody getting hurt but um i i think without without getting a structural engineer involved you're doing yourself a huge disservice you know that twenty five thousand dollars or whatever it may cost you to engage someone like sigma or paul rose um to understand how that load is going to shift as you cut into those columns uh, and depending on how deep you cut, um, you know, it's very, and it's very scary to think, that you know, people are still kind of really doing that um, to, to try to get it to come right over. And it, it certainly happens. I mean, there's a lot of plants out there. I mean, I can't, we can't bid on every single one of them. And so I don't know what has happened on every single, you know, plant disaster, but, uh, and I'm really eager to find out, you know, kind of what happened at, um, at Killen, uh, because it, it was a relatively, you know, newer plant. Um, it, it looked pretty stable, but so I'm very eager to find out. Do we as an industry take enough notice of how these structures were actually put together? And you've, you've mentioned, you know, uh, 24 columns. I guess somewhere in, in the archives there is some detail of, of how that was put together in the first place. It, are we paying enough attention to the ability to re-engineer or, or, or de-engineer these things? Um, I mean, obviously, just with one death, I would say no. Uh, and I, I just from knowing not every contractor engages a structural engineer 
or not every contractor may have a PE on their staff. And even that some contractors have PEs on their staff, those PEs may specialize in civil work instead of structural work. And um, a hung boiler, the way that weight shifts and uh, is meant to shift around, obviously when you have say a pendulum, you know, boiler where water is flooding, steam is flooding those um, tubes, the weight on those hung boilers uh, when they're in operation vary drastically. So it's really engineered for a shifting of uh, stresses and weights to occur. And that's why not everybody understands this isn't just a typical uh, stand up straight steel frame building where, you know, you can cut wedges out of it or cable it over and it comes over. It's it it's not meant to react like that. And so, you know, when people start not seeing what they think they should see, they start cutting deeper and deeper and deeper into these columns. And then, you know, kind of before you know it, you have a very a, a huge collapse and, you know, not, you know, I, I remember um, the blaster, uh, Eric Kelly, that passed away recently. Um I remember Eric telling me down at a project he was working on down in uh, Victoria, Texas. He said all he needed to get a power plant uh, to get a boiler over was one 490 size machine and an inch thick cable. And he could get any boiler in the world. He didn't care how big it was to come down. And, you know, it, you, you see things like the boiler will stump or it'll you know, fall within itself and get contained within the structure. Um, you know, it, so we don't, there's not enough structural analysis. I mean, I think the long part of the answer is no, there isn't enough structural analysis that we're doing um, as an industry, as a group of contractors that, and it has to get better. Given your earlier comment about the fact that there's potentially a, a thousand or more of these plants still left to come down uh, to comply with emissions regulations, is now not a good time? If, if, to a degree, it feels like closing the stable door after the horse has already bolted because we've had fatalities. But is there not some scope for um, the NDA and the NFDC and the Institute of Demolition Engineers to get their heads together and, and create some sort of guidance on, on plant decommissioning? There is, and there should be. I mean, there's, I, I know a lot of um, everything is kind of running, but way, way behind, um, especially with our NDA committees and the NDA conference in New Orleans, because, you know, obviously people are, whether they're scared to travel or won't travel or can't travel, I think the NDA this year, you know, we're, we're having far, far less committee meetings. We're having far less uh, actual meetings. Um, so COVID has certainly put a hamper on it, but it hasn't stopped the work. There's still contractors out there that are working like us every day. Um, and there, there needs to be uh, a guidance document. I mean, we create guidance documents all the time. Uh, I did one last year for hydraulic hammers. 
Uh, we certainly need a, a guidance document as an industry um, for taking down power plants, whether it's a, just a, a checklist, uh, 11, 12, 13 page document that goes through steps uh, for, you know, kind of safe demolition and getting the, I think one of the, the most important things that if we put out a guidance document like that, that all the utilities, all the environmental liability transfer companies, all the people that are going to, you know, maybe try to rebuy these power plants, everyone buys into the fact that if we're going to decommission this unit, these are the steps that we're going to have to follow, bar none. And if something changes in the field, uh, we have a management of change document in place uh, because that's, you know, that that's some of the that's one of the biggest things for a lot of somebody like me, old timers to get their hands around that we write a plan and then we start working our way in the plan and something changes. You know, you see a gap get this big, you know, uh, the actual whole entire column picks off the column plate like six inches and you're like, wow, I never saw that before. And there, at that point, you should stop. You shouldn't cut anymore because you saw something different. And there should be a, a, man, a change management uh, that's kind of a buzzer goes off in every contractor's head that says there's a different scenario here. Something different just happened, whether it's a bird mouth not opening or closing that way you thought it should. Call your engineer, call your third-party engineer, get them involved. Say, this is what just happened here on this site. It's a, it's a lot different than what I've ever seen before and have them walk through it. And that may delay your project. That may delay that boiler from coming over that day. Maybe that person has to fly in from wherever, Las Vegas, and come out and really inspect and see what happened and, and look at all your cuts. Maybe you, you know, went out of sequence something changed. And when something changes like that, it's that structure telling you that there's something dip you, that you didn't take into account. There's a difference there. Maybe there's add-ons that happened way above. They could have replaced the steam drum at a, at a point and made that steam drum much larger uh, than the original plan um, that your third-party engineer saw. Um, and so instead of being 60 inches wide steam drum, you know, it's 80 inches wide and it's nine inches thick. So the weight, you know, could be different, but there's tremendous amount of add-ons that these utilities do to hung boilers after the fact to make them heavier and just make them certainly, uh, harder to take down. And so, I mean, getting you know, your hands around that is, is key to not having any more, you know, deaths in this industry. I mean, it's not the dollars and cents that keep me up anymore at night. It's making sure that every single one of my guys goes home the same way they came to work. Um, that's what keeps me up at night. Just one, one slip up, uh, that worker or somebody got complacent, I thought they knew, you know, what this was or that was. 
that's what kind of keeps me up at night. And I think, you know, we, we need more of that, you know, in this industry and not just like being able to put your head on the pillow and, you know, you're relying on guys out in the field, um, you know, to take down these massive structures. And some, some of these people, I mean, from what I've read in, at Killen, so, you know, some of these people were, you know, just fresh out of the union hall um, that were, you know, kind of burning on structures that they've never burned on before. Uh, I really do appreciate you taking the time today. And uh, if one person takes note of what you've said today and thinks about um, taking down a boiler in a slightly different way, then I think our work here is done. Okay. I appreciate it, Mark. Thank you. Be safe. And you stay safe, my friend.